comes to us from my state of California, but the far opposite end. Michael, welcome to the program. Hi, my name is Michael Berry. I'm calling from Siskiyou County, more specifically Weed, California, and my encounter actually takes place outside of Weed. So we were coming home from track and field event, and we were on the bus. There was probably six of us and the coach. I was sitting almost in the very back, but still somewhere in the middle, and everyone was sitting in front of me. We were all passed out because it was like 1 a.m. by the time we're driving. And I suddenly had the urge to look behind me, and when I did, I saw a kid who I'd never seen before and wasn't there before sitting there looking forward like at the bus driver and I was like what the heck I was tired so I thought why is the plane tricks on me until I looked forward I saw my coach looking back at the kid then he looked at me looking at me like you're seeing what I'm seeing right so we both looked back and the kid was gone yeah I can't really explain that but It has been mentioned around Mount Shasta area, which is where it happened at. But yeah, that's my experience. Uh, Keep it spooky. Bye. Thank you, Michael, for calling in. Mount Shasta. Talk about a place that commands respect. Forget about the treacherous slopes, extreme weather, and high peaks. Because the place is crawling with the supernatural. 
This is how the mysterious mountain was described in the book, Weird California. Weirdness abounds at Mount Shasta. No place in America is the subject of as many occult legends and stories as the majestic snow-capped dormant volcano, now called Mount Shasta, rising 14,162 feet above sea level in the Cascades and visible for over 100 miles in the magnificent north of the state. The mountain has been famed in folklore and metaphysical speculations for centuries. Shasta's story ties in disparate elements including white-robed phantoms, the fabled lost continent of Lemuria, underground cities, gold-bedecked tombs, and a host of the most colorful dreamers, holy men, and prophets this side of Tibet. But what that little blurb doesn't mention is that Shasta is also known for something else. Missing individuals. Back in 1999, mountain climber Carl Landers vanished into thin air while attempting to summit the peak. Search parties never found a footprint, a body, a thread of clothing, not even bones. Landers isn't the only person who went up the mountain and never came back. In 2018 alone, 12 people went missing in Shasta County under unknown circumstances. So I spent 20 years on that mountain, on Mount Shasta, doing search and rescue. We've definitely had some uh, mysterious disappearances on Mount Shasta. Um, as you can see, it's a fairly open um, area. There's not much in the way of timber or, or anything. And to have somebody just completely disappear on you um, is sometimes just mind-boggling. That, that why can't I see somebody out here on this hillside? And if they were there, I probably would. Grizz was the lead investigator when Carl Landers disappeared 20 years ago. Now that clip courtesy of Into the Unknown on the Travel Channel and features search and rescue expert Grizz Adams. And as the host Cliff Simon mentioned, Adams was present for one of the mountain's biggest missing persons cases. So the point that I'm trying to get across here is that the place is weird, just as Michael told us. Even in the shadow of the mighty mountain, strange things have been reported. So I find it very curious that a young man would appear then suddenly disappear in and out of thin air. And I find it coincidental that this strange occurrence took place just outside of said mountain. This place known for missing people and missing children even. Couldn't there be some sort of connection? There are rumors of portals in the Shasta area. Could that somehow be related? Now, I've flown over Shasta, but I've never actually been there. But I do plan on visiting that area sometime in the near future. So I'll save any continued deep dive until then. But I do find this story fascinating. And I am excited to learn more. Now, if you'd like to dive in without me, I've linked to a fairly detailed video by The Y Files, a YouTube program that I've really been enjoying lately and a fair amount of skepticism is applied over there as well. I really enjoy that. So feel free to deep dive on your own. And thank you again, Michael, for sharing your entry. Now, folks, if you have a story you would like to share here on the show, simply shoot me a call on my toll-free hotline at 
608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-NIGHT. Or record your story as a voice memo on your phone and email the file to me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, folks, please don't call me from a moving car. Oh, and also remember that I'm still in need of your hometown legend calls. I've had an influx as of late, but I'll still take as many as I can get. Also, if you're a government worker and you've experienced something strange, I need your entry for the Season 17 premiere episode, The Government Worker Special. I think that's really going to be an odd one. So I'm talking to you, postmen, municipal sewer workers, senators, dog catchers, and even the guy that mops the courtrooms late at night. If a branch or level of government cuts your paycheck, we want your stories. Just be sure to mention hometown legends or government workers early in your entry so I can find it easily. Now, speaking of entries, I have an unsettling one, locked and loaded. Now, a lot of us wish that we could somehow bring a lost loved one back, or that we could communicate for just one last time. They wish that until it actually happens. Penny from Colorado. The mic is yours. Hi, my name is Penny, and I am originally from South Dakota. I reside in Colorado. What I'm going to tell you happened about 10 years ago. I was born and raised on a reservation, American Indian, Native American reservation in South Dakota. I was raised by my grandparents with two of my cousins and my sister. Ten years ago, I was living on the East Coast, and my mother called me and told me that my cousin, we'll call her Dawn, was sick and that I needed to get home because I didn't expect for her to make it. Unfortunately, I was tied up with meetings, and I wasn't able to get out right away. And so by the time I was able to get out, she had passed. So when I returned home, we were in the process of doing arrangements for service and burial. During this time, I was getting a lot of calls from friends, from family back home after her passing. But a number kept popping up that I didn't recognize. And because I didn't recognize it, I didn't answer. And I didn't leave a voicemail. So days go by, I'm finally home, and I'm sitting with my mother and my two aunts, and we're talking about what happened, and we're talking about the burial and the arrangements and everything that needed to happen when this number pops up again on my phone. And I show my mom the phone and I say, hey, do you know this number? And my mom looked at the number And she says, that's your cousin's number. So I said, oh, somebody must be using her phone. And she said, no, I think. And then she goes to my aunt who's across the way and says, don't you have her phone? And my aunt says, yes, I do. And so she opens up her bag and she grabs the phone, pulls it out. She says, you know, I was probably just accidentally dialing you all along. She opens up the phone, goes through the numbers dialed out. My number wasn't in there. 
And I didn't know my cousin's number. My cousin didn't know my number. I said this. I said, you know, I've never talked to her on the phone. I don't even think she has my number. And she said, oh, let me go into the directory and I'll just delete it. Make sure that doesn't happen. Goes into the directory. My number, my name's not in the directory, not in the contacts. And so we're looking at the phone and she says, I don't know what's happening. And I said, well, I don't know either. And my mom asked, you know, have you been answering the phone? And I said, no, you know, I didn't, I didn't know who it was. And so we leave it like that. A couple of days later, the number calls again. And I'm with my mother. I show her and I say, you know, it's calling again. So my mom picks up thinking it's my aunt. Maybe she accidentally dialed again or something. And she answers the phone and there's this like a, a whooshing sound but nobody's talking. She asks who it is, you know, you need to stop calling. If you need to call, you call me. Got upset, rightfully so, and she hung up. And then she calls my aunt who has my cousin's phone and says, did you call again? And my aunt says, no, you know, the phone's right here with me. So we go home to my aunt's home actually, and we get the phone and my mother pulls out the SIM card and then they bust it open and they, they kind of like try to take out the battery and we leave it. Now it's the service and then eventual burial. And again, I get a call from the number and I didn't know what to do at this point because I knew I saw the phone, I saw the SIM card be removed. I saw the phone be destroyed. I've tried calling, my mother tried calling the number back. It wouldn't connect. I don't know what to do with this. And so I finally answer. And again, it's this whooshing sound, like almost like someone's far away and then you, they're trying to talk, but you can't hear, you can't make it out. And I didn't know what to say. Listening to this whooshing sound and I addressed her by her name and I told her I was sorry. We hadn't spoken for years. It just busy people are busy and I told her I was sorry that I hadn't come home sooner and that she needed to stop calling me and I hung up at the burial my aunt took the phone or what was left of the phone and she put it in the casket and buried her with that phone I never got called again I've thought about this a lot over the near on 10 years that has happened. I think, you know, maybe it was a spam caller. Maybe somebody was playing games. Maybe, you know, somebody got reassigned the number. I tried calling it back. Uh, not that next day. Wouldn't go through. I don't have an explanation for this. And I don't know if there is one even after all this time. But I think that personally that it was my cousin because I was the only member who wasn't able to get back in time to see her before she passed. And that maybe this was the only way she could figure it out. And if it was, I'm glad it happened. But it's still one of those things that you just you don't know, and you carry around.
I wanted to share this with you. I am a subscriber and I listen to your podcast every week and I appreciate all you've done and thank you. Thank you, Penny. How eerie. I think one of my first moves here would be to call the phone company. Maybe they can get to the bottom, find out who exactly was calling. Now, as far as ordinary explanations are concerned, I do know that some scammers clone phone numbers. So you'll get a call from a number you think is someone else, only to learn that they're trying to hack your information or sell you a subscription to pills that do absolutely nothing. But you know if this were some sort of scammer, one would think they would reply when Penny or her mother answered the line. But you know this isn't the first ghost phone call that we've heard about. So maybe it was just that. Genuine communication from the other side. Well, regardless, it made for a disturbing little story. So thank you again, Penny, for sharing it. Now, how do you keep track of your subscription services? We all have so many nowadays, and sometimes it's hard to remember which ones you're still even paying for. Then you end up wasting money on something you don't even use. Now, when I started using Rocket Money, the app helped me see that some of my subscription services had raised their prices, and suddenly I was paying way more than I wanted to. Now, Rocket Money made canceling these subscriptions quick, easy, and painless. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills. I love that Rocket Money shows me what subscription charges are upcoming, so I can budget better and cancel unwanted subscriptions before I'm charged again. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com forward slash monsters among us. That's rocketmoney.com forward slash monsters among us. Rocketmoney.com forward slash monsters among us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to that stuff that goes bump in the night. Get a quote. Now, folks, this next one is a new take on an old detail. Gabby from Oregon. Welcome to the program. Hey, Derek. My name is Gabby. I've called in before. I'm in rural Oregon, but this actually took place in a suburb right outside of Portland. What triggered me to send this in is that I heard Matt from Massachusetts, and it was on season 15, episode 9, and he was talking about the woman that he's seen with the black eyes, I think is what he said. This kind of reminded me of it, so, you know, might give him a little solace to know the same type of thing exists uh, out here too so I was driving and it was summer and I had my windows down everybody had their windows down I was sitting at a red light and across from the other side with somebody else in their car I was probably about two car lengths from the the red light but I could see that that car and I just kept looking at it I don't know why 
And as the traffic, the light turned green and the traffic started to move pretty slow, that car started getting closer to me and he also had his window down. And then he kept looking and staring at me and as he got closer, I just had this sense of evil and this guy's eyes were all black. I'm pretty sure he was bald. Um, Not that that matters, but that's kind of what he looked like. And he looked kind of almost lizard-like. I don't, you know, I don't know what else to describe him as. He looked a little bit lizard-like, but his eyes were black. And this guy looked, I just had a feeling of real evil. And he drove by slow and kept staring at me. And I eventually, I looked away from him because I thought, wow, this this guy is, you know, there's <laughs> no good news on this guy. So I don't know what it was or what he was. He did not seem human. He didn't seem human to me. So I don't know what he was. I just had a real sense of evil when he drove by my car and I, you know, he just kept staring at me and he had his grin on him. It was just all very strange. So when Matt called in about that woman that he's seen, it reminded me of this. So I, I don't know, I guess if anybody else has more experiences like that, it would be interesting to hear. Anyway, all right. Thanks, Derek. Thank you, Gabby. Talk about disturbing. That guy sounds like someone you would see on a Ripley's Believe It or Not TV special back in the 90s or something. Then again, I've been to Portland, and it also sounds like some of the residents of the Rose City that I saw walking around. Simply put, Portland is a weird place. Now, don't get me wrong. It's great. I'd love it up there. But damn, if it isn't weird. But a sinister-looking man with all black eyes. Could that be some sort of body alteration? Is that sort of thing even possible? What exactly would explain that part of Gabby's story? Well, believe it or not, it is possible. And believe it or not, people out there are having it done. They call it scleral tattooing, and it's even more dangerous than it sounds. People are getting their eyeballs tattooed. They're getting colorful eyeballs, they're getting black eyeballs so you look like a doll and people can't see where you're looking. The technical term is scleral tattooing. So tattoo ink is being injected with a needle beneath the outer filmy layer of the eyeball, which is called the conjunctiva. That ink is then sitting in a blob between the conjunctiva and the white of the eye, which is the sclera. The ink then travels around between those two layers and colors the white of your eye or the sclera, whatever color ink you've injected. The result is permanent and you can't reverse it. That needle can go too deep and actually puncture the globe of the eye. This can cause the eyeball to rupture or decompress that can affect vision. Also, ink can then be injected into the inside of the eyeball that can cause infection, inflammation. It could also interfere with the cells that are in the eyeball, which is responsible for determining vision and also can cause separation of your macula, which can then lead to blindness. Now that clip was from the YouTube channel of Dr. Matthew Shulman. And trust me when I say the images are even harder to stomach than the description. Yikes. So maybe that's it, Gabby. 
Maybe it was just someone that had his Scalera tattooed. Or maybe it was one of those black-eyed kids. All grown up. Thank you again, Gabby, for sharing the phone call. Now next, we head to my boyhood home of Ohio, where Tevis has a story for us. Hi, Derek. My name is Tevis, and I'm from Ohio. One of my employees asked me to call in and share my story. Uh, My story is actually about my childhood home. We lived together in a split-level house in Columbus, Ohio. My parents, my sisters, you know, typical things, subdivision, lots of houses, kids on a busy street. Everything was fine. There was no crazy things happening while my dad lived there. Uh, Before my parents divorced, my dad actually installed some old barn siding in the lower base level of our home. It went around the entire room, and it ended at the top of the stairs. We later heard that from some people that you're not supposed to put old barn siding in your home. Evidently, you're supposed to burn a barn and not reuse the wood. So that leads into what happened in our home. After my dad left, you know, he moved out a couple of years later, my mom started to notice some changes. In the lower level of the house, we had a family room, wood stove, couch, and TV. Our laundry room was down there in our extra bathroom. And we always played and watched TV down there. But every night, my mom would close the drapes. And this set of windows was like 20 feet, 25 feet long. And it would take forever to pull that chain just to close those drapes. And every morning when my mom got up, she would notice the drapes were open. She just assumed the kids were doing it. But then she started to realize that she was up before the children. So she started to ask each of us girls, you know, did you open the drapes this morning? We all said no. Kids don't really care about the drapes. So this went on for a couple days, you know, it started bothering my mom and she was afraid somebody was getting in the house at night. She's a single parent. So she talked to the neighbors across the street and they called some people and uh, these investigative people came over and noticed the barn siding right off and told us the legend about, you know, not putting it in your house, you have to burn the barn and, you know, don't reuse the wood. So they were curious. They immediately thought we had a spirit in the house. So they personally closed the drapes that night, and they wanted to make sure nobody was tampering with them. So starting at the window, they started pinning yarn from ceiling to floor, side to side. I've never seen so much yarn in my entire life. They did it from the window all the way to the bottom of the steps, something out of the matrix. And then we said goodnight to them. We all went to bed. And we got up the next morning, we went to the kitchen, we looked downstairs, the drapes were open, and all the yarn was still intact. So, of course, the Ghostbuster guys come over, and and sure enough, they said, do you have something in your house? And my mom was okay with it, you know, as long as our friend was friendly, and she called him Casper. We didn't really know it was a him until much later. You know, we went about our days, the drapes were open every morning, you know, now it was no longer a big deal. Mom would just say, thanks, Casper. And we never told anybody about this. And one night we invited some friends over and we were just sitting there playing. And all of a sudden the girls looked up. They saw somebody in the room with us, screamed and ran upstairs. And my mom caught them upstairs and said, girls, why are you screaming? And they had said, man's down there and described the guy to a T. You know, at, at that point in time, we knew Casper was a guy. 
And uh, nothing else ever happened after that. So, uh, you know, then, of course, we moved to our new home. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, my interesting story. I don't know if there's a, a legend about barn sighting. I'm, I'm curious. So uh, hopefully I'll hear the answer. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, Tevis. You know, I never thought about this until now. But before my brother moved into my grandparents' home, he had a little three-bedroom house over in town. Now that house had all sorts of activity. Footsteps, disembodied voices, moving items. And I myself experienced disembodied whistling there. And we even caught an EVP in his basement that simply uttered the word, Dog. Now the point here being that that overly active home, too, had barn siding on the interior. I believe it was wood from my sister-in-law's family farm. No, I know for a fact that my brother installed the wood, but I don't know for a fact if the strange activity happened before said siding was installed or after. But I'll have to ask him next time I talk to him. But I've never heard this cautionary legend, the one that Tevas relayed, that Barnwood can somehow hold spirits or instigate hauntings. So I sent Delaney on what turned out to be a wild goose chase looking for a legend that warns against such upcycling. And to my surprise, she actually found nothing. So I guess you are my last hope here, listener. Have any of you even heard of such a legend? If so, let us know. And thank you again, Tevis, for bringing all of this to light. Now, folks, don't forget to visit our merch shop. We have a slew of Monsters Among Us-themed items for you to proudly wear, utilize, and display. Just visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and hit the shop tab. While you're there, check out the brand new beanie design by artist Kit Fox. And remember, all proceeds go back to the show. So your support is greatly appreciated. Now folks, I'm going to slip one more call in before we break for the advertisers. And this one may sound familiar at first. But there's definitely something about this call that makes it incredibly unique. Let's see if you can spot it. Anonymous from Arkansas. Welcome to the program. Hey, this story happened to me in December of 2020 in Fayetteville, Arkansas at about 12.30 at night. And it was a pretty clear night. You could see lots of stars and lots of air traffic. And I was out by a farm near some natural forest land. And I got out of the car to let my dog run around and I was looking up at the sky, looking at all the stars and noticed a black patch coming my way. As I focused on it, it came right overhead of me. And I looked up and it looked just like a black pyramid blocking out the stars. And as soon as I realized what I was seeing, another one passed right over my head, and it looked like it was in a formation, kind of a a side of it a little bit. And they were heading north at about 600 knots, at about 8,000 feet. And this was, like I said, about 1230 in early December of 2020. And they were heading right towards uh, an airport called XNA, which was closed for flights for the evening, which I guess is how they could fly so low over it. 
And when I looked at the vector on the air traffic control map, it looked like the direction they were going was heading right towards the stealth bomber base in Missouri. But they didn't look like stealth bombers. Stealth bombers are long and look like a bat and are flat. These looked like absolute pyramids, except flattened pyramids. You could tell that they had a shallow slope to them, but they weren't aerodynamic at all. They didn't make any noise. They didn't have any lights. And stealth bombers are supposed to have navigational lights when they're in the United States. And these didn't have any I could see directly underneath of them and as they passed me at an angle. So there were no lights on them at all. And they didn't make any noise, not even wind shear. So that's pretty incredible. I've never seen anything like it before. Like I said, they were big, just black pyramids that blocked out the sky. And I would say they were about the size of a high school sports arena, you know, a fairly big size, like a small office building size craft. So if they were actual military craft, they weren't that new stealth bomber, the B-21 Raider. That one is narrow, like a seagull wing or something. It's, it, this is not, this thing I saw was not aerodynamic in any way these these two craft all right well i love the show and keep up the good work thanks thank you caller well what detail in this one do you think i find incredibly unique if you said because there were two triangle craft instead of just one you would be dead on i cannot recall ever hearing another black triangle story of which i've heard many that the witness claims two of the craft flew overhead. Delaney and I scoured our resources and we didn't find any claims that led me to believe this sort of experience has ever happened before, making this caller's encounter most unusual. Now I'll be thinking about this entry for quite a while, and if another encounter that features two of these strange triangular craft pops up, I'll be sure to let you know. Thank you again, caller, for taking the time. Now, as someone that takes a lot of pride in my facial hair, I know there's nothing worse than a cheap razor that leaves your skin inflamed and irritated. It's hard to feel like my best when I'm being plagued with razor burn, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. That's why you gotta meet Henson Shaving. Henson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that has made parts for the International Space Station and the Mars Rover. And now they're bringing precise engineering to your shaving experience. By using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes metal razors that extend at just .0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of a human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration-free shave. The razor also has built-in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Now, once you own a Henson razor, it's only about three to five dollars per year to replace the blades, which I think we can all agree is very affordable. 
Now it's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit HensonShaving.com forward slash M-A-U to pick the razor for you. Use code M-A-U and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure to add them in your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G.com forward slash M-A-U and use code M-A-U. Now, as always, supporting our sponsor supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to those strange lights in your cornfield. Now, imagine yourself driving along the frigid back roads of southwest Ohio, late at night, just killing time and shooting the breeze. Then you see something that from that point on, you'll never stop thinking about. Well, that's what happened to Ben and his friend. Ben, welcome to the program. Hi there, my name is Ben. This encounter happened near London, Ohio. I think it was around 2014, 2015, somewhere around there. I haven't really had any paranormal experiences except for possibly this. I'm really not sure what to make of this. But basically, this occurred on a very cold night. It was, I think, around January, I think, like I said, 2014, 2015. It was when we had a really bad Arctic blast or whatever you call them. I mean, it was super-duper cold. I think it was like negative 5 with the wind chill or something that night. Me and my friend, we used to go out every Monday night, go out to dinner, drive around. And in this part of Ohio, as most of Ohio is, pretty flat, very typical Midwestern farm town kind of thing. And we went to dinner, did our thing, we came back, and what we usually would do after dinner was go on a drive, just relax in the car, just talk, catch up, whatever. And we took a different route home just to mix it up a little bit. And it was pitch black outside, very, very cold. We took this different road, and it was a really windy road. And once we turned this corner, and my friend was driving, and it was pitch black, there was nothing around us. All of a sudden, there was this guy on the side of the road. No flashlight, totally snuck up on us. Absolutely no indication of him anywhere. He did not have a flashlight. And he didn't even look like he had a coat on. And it scared the crap out of us because, I mean, we just rounded a corner and all of a sudden there's this guy just walking on the side of the road. And he didn't even seem to notice us, but we noticed him. (laughs) It was just really crazy because, like I said, it was, you know, in the negatives with the wind chill. And I don't even know why we decided to go out. It was probably not the smartest idea to go driving around when it was that cold. But... It was just in the middle of nowhere, and it was just like time kind of stood still in that moment, because once we turned the corner and we saw him, I mean, we didn't turn around to see if he needed help or anything. We just kept going, but it felt like time had just stood still. Like, we were just in shock. So very weird feeling that I've never experienced before, and I haven't experienced since. There was a house, like, deep back in the part 
of the wooded farmland. I'm not even sure how to describe that area really. But the only explanation I can maybe think of is sleepwalking. Even then, I have a hard time believing that myself. I'm just not really sure what to make of it. Because it was so cold, he did not have a flashlight. It was pitch black, middle of nowhere. Maybe just that one house, and that was it for quite a ways. So I'm not sure if it was a ghost. I'm not sure. Shapeshifter, I, I don't even know. And I really don't remember what all the guy was wearing, but I do remember that it didn't look like he was wearing a coat in the split second or two that we saw him. It was just something that has stuck with me all these years because I'm just not sure what to think of it. And my friend and I, once we kind of got out of our shock phase, we're like, what the hell was that? I mean, what is that guy doing? And we both, you know, tried to come up with multiple explanations, like perhaps he was sleepwalking or perhaps he just didn't have a care in the world and just was suicidal. Or this was just a ghost or something. I mean, I'm really not sure what to think of it. I mean, I don't know much about sleepwalking. I mean, obviously, you're still asleep when you're walking, but I feel like with it being that cold, something could have woken him up. Like, it was too cold out or something. I'm not really sure. But it was just so surreal and just something that we were not expecting and really just trying to figure out what other possible explanations it could be. This is creepy. And I don't live there anymore. I live here in Tennessee now. But I've kind of wanted to go back to that location just to kind of, I guess, jog my memory a little bit and kind of just look at the area more in the daylight to see if there could have been any more explanations. But I have gone down that road before then in the daylight, and there just wasn't anything really there. Anyway, that's my encounter. Thank you for using it if you do. And I love the podcast. You love the great work. Bye. Thanks, Ben. No, I don't know a lot about sleepwalking, but I do know a lot about ghosts, or at least more than the normal everyday Joe six-pack. So I can't comment on Ben's theory that perhaps it was a sleepwalker, although I will agree with him that he would think sub-zero temperatures would be enough to wake anyone up. Just imagine how cold their feet would have been. And instead of offering up medical conditions and mental disorders to explain this unusual sighting, I'll offer up a specific paranormal legend from the London, Ohio area that could help explain what Ben saw that evening. If you believe that sort of thing at all. There is a road seven miles south of the town of London, the town Ben was driving around where something quite similar has been reported for decades. This info, courtesy of OhioExploration.com Van Wagoner Road This stretch of road near Maiden Higgins Road is said to be haunted by a ghostly woman wearing a white nightgown. It is believed that she was killed in a nearby house by her husband, who was never charged. Her body had been found in a well on the property about a week after she disappeared. The woman's ghost is known to flag down motorists to ask for help. The Madison County Sheriff's Department has even investigated the haunting after receiving so many calls about the ghost. Van Wagoner Road is now just called Wagoner Road, but the stories persist. 
Now, if you'd like to learn more about this legend, I suggest the book Haunted Ohio, Volume 2. It seems to have the most detail of any version of this tale out there. And it's a fun little book series. One that I grew up reading on repeat. So could it have been a flowing woman in white that Ben and his friend encountered that evening? He didn't mention a gender that I could remember. So I guess this is entirely possible. But just in case you're not satisfied with what I found... I did dig up another legend from that exact area that seems to offer up another, albeit equally as ghostly, suspect. Old Xenia Road Woods, a small patch of woods located at the intersection of Old Xenia Road and Robert Mill Road, just south of London, is reportedly haunted. Legend says a pioneer family was massacred by either Indians or bandits at the site. People have reported seeing figures running through the woods, both during the day and at night. Eyewitnesses have seen a woman's ghost wandering in the woods while driving by at night. A house and a barn in the woods is reported to be the epicenter of the haunting. And wouldn't you know, that location is a mere five miles outside of the town of London. So what do you think? I grew up in Ohio, and I know how cold it can get there. So at a certain point... A ghost makes much more sense than someone out there without a coat. Thank you again, Ben, for the fun little deep dive. Now don't forget if you're in Australia, or you will be at the end of this month, our film Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Borrego Triangle will have its international premiere at the Cinema Nova Science Fiction Film Festival in Melbourne, on the 25th of February at 1 p.m. Hit up the show notes for more details or visit borregotriangle.com. And for the rest of you, the film releases domestically on March 5th. You can rent or purchase the film through Apple TV, Amazon Prime, and a number of other locations. More on that to follow in coming weeks. And for you Kickstarter backers, we're ordering those DVDs this week. Finally which has been the holdup this entire time. And we're just waiting for the green light from the distributor. So those packages will be going out soon as well. I can't tell you how excited we are to get this film out in front of everyone. Now to say this next entry is a weird one would be an understatement. Please welcome Jordan from Colorado. Hey, Derek, this is Jordan calling from Colorado. I lived in Denver for most of the early 2000s. This story happened in about 2012, 2013, I think. I was staying at my then-girlfriend's house, which was kind of an attic apartment right off of Colfax in Denver, which is uh, kind of an infamous street for sort of rough business to happen we were fast asleep and um about two three o'clock in the morning i was woken up by the loudest most god-awful roaring sound that i had ever heard in my life and the only way i can describe it is it it almost sounded like a like an ape or like a gorilla or something and it was coming from the alley behind her house just this 
God. And it like, it felt like it shook the walls of the apartment. And, uh, I, I shot up out of bed and some, somebody else in that alley must've heard it too, because I heard a guy start yelling, help me, help me, help me. And I remember I could hear him run all the way down the side of the house out onto the street proper. It was almost like a Doppler effect thing. I, I could hear him run all the way. And uh, that was the end of it. But boy, I don't know if I was having some kind of a, a dream or if it really happened, but I'm still talking about it to this day. So uh, I, I tend to believe that it was something that actually happened. And all else I know is that after that happened, the, the walls of that apartment felt paper thin. It felt like whatever made that sound could just come through those walls at any moment and i sat there for about 10 15 minutes just making sure there was uh, nothing else gonna happen and um yeah it just stuck with me the kind of uh fragility and um just vulnerability that i felt after hearing such a massive terrifying predatorial sound my girlfriend didn't wake up so <laughs> um either she's a deeper sleeper than i am or uh, maybe it was something that only I could hear. But anyway, love the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Jordan. See, it's pretty weird. A gorilla or something else large roaring in downtown Denver. It's very weird. Well, I started in the obvious places with this one. I checked to see if any zoos or private collectors had reported any escaped exotic animals. And I found nothing. Then I did my best to find promotional events, film productions, anything like that in the area at that time. Something that could explain where this unsettling sound originated. But again, I found nothing. That's when I did a blanket search for strange roaring sounds in the greater Denver area. And that's when I hit pay dirt. The following YouTube video was uploaded on February 7th, 2012, and was recorded in the Denver area, roughly the same time that Jordan claimed to have heard his mysterious growler. Now this video was recorded from the witness's front yard and shows several neighbors coming out of their houses to hear the sound as well. Here's a short portion of the sounds recorded that night, courtesy of Provost Chain on YouTube. Yeah, what the hell? It's like construction or something on the highway. Whoa! <laughs> Give me a plane. Dude, no way. I just called it in though. They said that several other people have called in already. Yeah, I told you this was weird. Now, obviously, these sounds aren't roars, as Jordan described, but they are pretty close, and maybe they sounded a little more biological over where Jordan was. As loud as these sounds were, it seems like half the city could have heard them. And if anyone listening happened to be in Denver around this time and has additional information, please let us know. I really enjoyed this call, Jordan. My imagination really wanted to go the Harry and Henderson's route. 
I was quick to imagine a Sasquatch running through the streets of Denver, roaring at anything that displeased him. But you know, strange, noisy sky monsters work as well. Thank you again, Jordan, for sharing the phone call. Well, if you thought that last one was weird, wait until you get a load of this next one. John, from New York. Welcome to the Digital Airwaves. Hey, good afternoon. My name's John Mariocker. I live just outside of Buffalo, New York. This event happened about six years ago. Uh, there was three other people with me. My daughter, her friend, and my son. They were around uh, 14 and 15 years old. It was uh, actually August 1st, and we were in a park about 25, 30 miles east of Buffalo, New York, as I mentioned. And it was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and we were hiking through the woods. As we were hiking, we were in uh, single file. My, my son was in front. I was behind him, and my daughter and her friend were behind me, and we were on a hiking trail. We were in the woods maybe about 15, 20 minutes. We had noticed uh, prior to the actual event that it had gotten fairly quiet, which was unusual, obviously, for 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We should have been hearing all kinds of animal noises, and we didn't. And uh, I had mentioned it maybe two to three minutes before our experience. So anyways, as we're walking, we heard this loud crash. It was a very loud noise, loud enough to startle us. And it was probably about a 45 degree angle to our right over a little, I would say, not a ravine, but just a slight grade downward. So we hear this loud crashing sound, and initially what I thought it was, was either a tree had fallen or a huge branch had fallen and hit the ground, and my immediate reaction was, thank God it didn't fall on us. So we hear this crash, everybody kind of like is startled and makes a noise like, oh geez, what, what was that? It was probably, as I mentioned, it was about a 45 degree angle from us, maybe about 30 to 40 feet away. So we walked over to where we had thought this impact would be. And there was nothing there. And as me and the kids are looking around, this is just seconds after the noise. We're looking, we're looking all around. They're like, Dad, what, what made that noise? And I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea. Now, as I said, it was a bit of a gradient there. So I instructed the kids, everybody to kind of walk in a circle. I thought maybe a huge branch had fallen and hit the ground and rolled. We're walking around and there's nothing. Now this is again, now we're about maybe a minute or two after the noise. And the ground, it was actually soft because it had rained a few days leading up to when we were out hiking. For whatever made that loud of a noise should have left an impact crater. There was nothing. There was no impact crater. 
There was nothing that could have fallen out of that tree. It was a big tree that it was kind of near. So I thought maybe a branch had fallen off of it. But there was no sign of anything. So now we're maybe four or five minutes in, and the kids are getting spooked. I'll admit I'm getting spooked. I'm like, I have no earthly explanation for what just happened. Now the kids come back to me after kind of doing a, a uh, you know, a search. And what my daughter did and my younger son, my daughter's friend was still looking around. And I, I looked at my daughter and I said, honey, did you see anything when you heard the noise and looked? And she said, yes, I saw like a black image, but it was splashed. It was just a millisecond. I saw it, it disappeared. And she said it was maybe about four feet high and about five to six feet long. And I had saw the same thing. I'm like, holy cow. I heard the noise and when I looked, I saw a black flash. And as I said, this is all within minutes of experience. It didn't take us long to look around the area and discover there was nothing there. So I called my daughter's friend over, and she didn't hear the conversation. I go, honey, did you see anything right after you heard the noise? And she described the same thing that my daughter saw and the same thing I saw. Something that was black, maybe four feet high, five to six feet long, only saw it for a split second. None of us could determine, like, if it had a tail or a head, but there was a black entity that we saw for a split second, and disappeared, like it disappeared into the ground, completely gone. I called my son over, asked him. He heard the noise. Unfortunately, where he was on the trail, there was a tree in front of him that blocked his sight. But the three of us saw this black, I don't know what else to call it other than an entity, and it disappeared within a couple of milliseconds. There was no other explanation other than a paranormal one for that loud noise and that black flash. A few days after that, I spoke to a person who knows the area well, who knows all the history of it, and said that what we witnessed and what we experienced, that they, he had talked to other people going back dozens and dozens of years that had similar experiences in that place. He even said that he did research and found that the Native Americans in that area, you know, hundreds of years ago, he had talked to some of the elders, and they had experienced similar things. So it was shocking to me, and, you know, I, I had never really experienced anything like that in my life. I was, at the time, I was 55 years old. It really affected everybody that was there that day. You know, I've given it much thought over the last few years, and investigated it on my own like you know to try to get answers for myself you know the best answer that I could come up with is I think I really believe at this point that a portal opened up you know that we were witness to some kind of portal to another dimension and the noise was the tearing of the fabric of our dimension and this thing going through one to the other that's my best guess I appreciate the time Derek love the show have a great weekend. Thank you, John. Now, some of these details remind me of my ABC sighting from some 35 years ago. We heard a branch break and looked over to see a flash of black shooting through the brush. 
except it sounds like we got a much better look than John and his posse did. But of course, John did not describe his creature as feline, nor did he describe it as an animal, really. Just an anomalous black blob that seemed to sink into the ground. There aren't too many things out there that can do that sort of thing. And you know, as strange as this call was, I'll end on this thought. It's ironic that John mentioned portals. I did not intentionally line these calls up like this, but Michael's call from the beginning of the program. It took place near Mount Shasta, a place long rumored to be home of a series of portals that transport whoever enters through them to far-off distant lands and or dimensions. Now, if you're skeptical like me, you may be wondering, is such a thing even possible? Well, coincidentally, that video by the Y-Files that I suggested you watch, if you're interested in the Mount Shasta mystery, well, it goes into detail on just how such a thing might be possible. And here's a short clip explaining that theory. In 2013, NASA discovered a phenomenon called an X-point. X-points are places where the magnetic field of the Earth is directly connected to the magnetic field of the Sun. This is an uninterrupted path of energetic particles leading from our planet all the way to our star, 93 million miles away. Another study confirmed these portals and found some of them are short-lived, opening and closing very quickly, but others are stable for long periods of time. Now, obviously, we can't use these portals to travel. Yet. Yet. But there is science to support that the Earth is magnetically tethered to the Sun. So, hypothetically, this sort of thing is possible. But it's hard not to wonder why this is possible. Why hasn't it happened before? Well, according to at least one man, it already has. His name was Hank Craftsman, and that portal was supposedly located in the Grand Canyon, of all places. Craftsman was a student in the early 1960s when he befriended another student named Kopavi, a member of the Native American group, the Hopi, who live in and around the canyon. According to Craftsman's accounts, Kopavi once led him deep into the wilderness to reveal the spectacular truth. Craftsman says that he was blindfolded by Kopavi and led on a long journey via horseback until the blindfold was removed and Craftsman found that the pair were facing a vast and apparently solid rock face. However, when Craftsman placed his hand onto the rock, it actually went through what was there. Craftsman suggests that the hidden location was actually a portal or vortex of some kind then, between Earth and another dimension. Walking through the portal, Craftsman was allegedly led through a series of chambers until the world opened up and an entire city spread out before him an apparently ultra-advanced metropolis with unfamiliar technology. It was as if it were all cloaked by the rocky enormity of the Grand Canyon. It proved to be the one and only time that Craftsman visited this place, despite various attempts made by him in the following years to relocate it. As the claimed portal has never been found by anyone else either, his story has again been widely met with skepticism, but Craftsman maintained it until his death in 2010. Now that clip on behalf of Unveiled over on YouTube. So look, John, I'm certainly not saying that this proves that you're correct, that you heard some sort of portal opening up. 
but I guess I am saying that it is at least possible. So thank you again, John, for calling in. And let this be a warning to all of you adventurers out there. If you see some sort of doorway in the woods, maybe it's best not to go in it. But if you do, and you live to tell the tale, please give me a phone call. Alright folks, that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Copyright Red Crow Media. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Please follow us on social media, YouTube, and leave us a rate and review wherever possible. And finally, tonight's score was provided by Armchair Ambiance, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey, and White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're a true fan of the show, I'll catch you after the outro. For everyone else, keep it spooky and have a good night. Tonight's secret entry is an eerie little number by Ethan in that state up north. Hi, this is Ethan. I'm from southern Michigan. Uh, I just started listening to your podcast, but I went to a bingo night with my grandma when I was about eight or nine. And I remember I really had to go to the bathroom and it was in somebody's house that I didn't know. I'm pretty sure that it was her boss's house. I can't remember because it was so long ago, but... I remember walking up the stairs and you get up in this get upstairs and there's a hallway and there was a door on the left and a door on the right and at the very end of the hall there was a a wooden door. The other two were plain white doors, interior doors, and I knew that the bathroom was on the left because the owner had told me that it's at the end of the hallway on the left. And I start back towards that doorway and I get right to the door and the door at the very end, the wooden one, slowly starts to open. And I see a blue light coming from it and an older lady, she looked to be maybe 70, late 70s. She just put her finger up to her lips with the sign, like, you know, to be quiet. And I just heard a shh come from her. And so I whispered back, you know, sorry. Um, didn't realize I was being loud. And so I went into the bathroom and did my business. And I thought that was kind of weird uh, while I was in there. I mean, like, I wasn't really making any noise. It was a carpeted floor. And I remember coming back out and looking over, and it was just a solid wall where the door had been. And I kind of freaked out for a few minutes. And I remember I, I went downstairs, and I had asked the owner, is there an older lady that lives upstairs? And he said, no, there's nobody that lives upstairs. It's just my family. 
Yeah, I don't know why. I didn't think about it more when I was younger. Because thinking about it now, it's why would I not freak out over that? A wall being there at the end of the hallway, and then all of a sudden it's just a wall. But I guess that's it's not something an eight or nine year old thinks of. But now as I get older, I, I realize how messed up and paranormal that was. I love your podcast so far, and I'm definitely going to keep listening to it. It's been giving me the goosebumps all day, so keep it up. I love it. Thanks, Ethan. Now, we've all heard that theory that ghosts that we see walk through walls are possibly walking through doorways that no longer exist due to remodeling, restructuring of a home. I recall a story about a family that repeatedly saw the ghost of a man disappear into a certain spot in their hallway. And it wasn't until years later that they found the original plans of the home that they realized that there used to be a doorway in that very spot, but it was covered up during the last renovation. I really enjoy stories like that, because to me it offers up a certain amount of validation, if not to the general public, but at the very least to the witness. So I thank you again, Ethan, for sharing the entry. I just couldn't imagine running into something like that as a young child. Well, folks, it's that time of the evening where we cross over to the beyond. The after show portion of this program, where we continue to share calls, but in a more relaxed manner. To join me and tonight's special guest, just visit patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us podcast. Join that $5 level and you'll get instant access to this and dozens more episodes and the entire back catalog of paywall restricted content as well. Now, if you don't need all that, but still want to support the show, $1 a month gives you the main programming absolutely ad-free. So go to monstersamonguspodcast.com and click that Patreon tab to learn more. It's over there that you get the inside scoop on calls like Delaney's out of Kentucky. Hi, Derek. My name is Delaney. Sorry, this might be a little bit scatterbrained, but this just happened to me. So today is Sunday, December 13th. It's about 8 o'clock in the evening, and I went for a drive. I live in Somerset, Kentucky, so as you know, it's an area of high strangeness. And I was actually on Highway 192, and so that takes you through.